The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. What the best month for stocks since 87 means to your money. Are stocks too tired for an end-of-year burst now or perfectly primed for one last push? We debate that today with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour are Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, John and Kerry Firestone is the CEO of Arias Asset Management. Rob Seachin with UBS Private Wealth Management is one of Forbes' top 100 financial advisors. Good to see everybody on this pre-Thanksgiving show. Let's check stocks. The Dow coming off its first ever close above 30,000. Giving a little back today, as you see, off the lows, still down 180. A lot of focus continues to be on the so-called cyclical trade. Energy banks, airlines, all pacing for their best months ever. Rob Seachin, it's good to see you again. I come to you first because... Your note to our producer today really piqued my interest. The last three weeks, you say, were transformational. How so? Well, I think going into this, Scott, we did not have a we did not have a prospect for a stimulus plan. And really, what it did is it pivoted focus to the to the virus and the and the, and the count virus count really really increasing. Um, since then, you've had three Mondays of very, very positive news on, on the virus front. You've had an election outcome that appears to be more and more benign with the actions of, uh, with the actions of our president-elect, uh, specifically nominating Janet Yellen. It looks like it was uh, an outcome that was squarely middle of the fairway that was uh, not too far left, not too far right, really Goldilocks-like from my perspective. And now you're at a place where I think when you look at major pivot points historically, whether it be coming out of the gold standard or Volcker in raising interest rates in the 80s, the tech bubble, the financial crisis, those have been major pivot points for markets. And you've seen major shifts in terms of how, how investors are allocated. And I think this latest move could be the beginning of such a shift. I'm not saying that tech needs to underperform. I'm saying that I think the whole market can go up, and I think where investors want to be is in the catch-up trade. Okay. So Carrie, I don't think that's a, sorry. I don't think that's a straight line though, and I think you can pick your spots. But certainly, looking out in the mid-21, as earnings accelerate and this news trickles through markets, I think it's going to be a real positive. Okay. Um, you and a lot of others agree um, clearly as for what the landscape holds moving forward, Carrie. So here's here's let's set the scene, if if you will. Okay, 
I like to come out with these lists and then have us debate sort of where we are, what the state of play is. We know that stocks have run a lot, right? You go Dow 30K, that's a milestone, S&P new record. The vaccine, I wonder if it's baked in at this point. At least some people are uh, wondering whether the market's tired or it needs a breather. Yes, you have the transition underway. Key nominees are now known, as Rob said. Janet Yellen certainly got the market all excited yesterday. What, though, the catalyst now, Kerry, to take stocks higher, let's say over the next couple of months? Is there a catalyst left? Well, I, I think one of the best catalysts we could come up with is that the market is broadened. Remember, for the first nine months of the year, it was really a tech and platform communication kind of market. The number of S&P names that had beaten the S&P as of the beginning of this quarter was about 38% or less. And now it's 60% of stocks are beating the S&P. That had to happen in order for the whole market to move higher. It was getting too narrow. In addition, if you look at earnings estimates, those numbers are also starting to inch upward. Even if we look at first and second quarter earnings for 2021, when we'll, we'll still have uh, COVID through the country. Everyone's not going to be vaccinated. Those numbers are moving up. Third and fourth quarter 21 numbers are moving higher. And most companies in the S&P beat, they beat their estimates on revenue and for earnings in the third quarter. Well, that wasn't so that difficult. More, I would say that wasn't optimism. that difficult, right? I mean, oh, uh, you could have jumped course, over an ant. Yeah, definitely. Right? And you could have beat the estimates, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Estimates we have come all down. Beat. So let, let's, exactly. Let's temper the enthusiasm yeah. a little bit based carry on where expectations were. My question, though, Steve Weiss, now is okay, a lot of these stocks focused around the reopen have, are, have already moved a lot. The Boeing's at 50 percent, the airlines, the cruise lines, some of the retailers. We went through the list yesterday. Nordstrom right now, month to date, is up 139 percent in this month. Hotel stocks I'm looking at, more retailers like Kohl's up 57 percent, Steve. These things have run a lot. Is there really room left in the near term for them? In my view, I don't think they should be where they are. I think they've gotten ahead of themselves clearly, ahead of the fundamentals. It's not just that things aren't going to return to normal for a while, particularly with the airlines, with business travel, that's going to be, I think, permanently impacted. It's that these stocks are trading as if COVID never happened. No matter that you're closed a lot of them and you've taken capacity out of a lot of them in terms of store closing, etc., now you expect those stocks to do better than they were doing better before, where you still have the same issues affecting those industries. So I think that's purely been a momentum trade. Momentum trades go until they don't go, so they can go higher. But they're not trading up on any type of reasonable fundamentals. They should not explode when a market, when a vaccine is actually in the market. They've exploded already. But does that mean so I can't buy any if I'm watching to today? Steve, I'm sorry to interrupt you. If I'm watching today, right. I can't buy any of the so-called reopen or epicenter stocks? I mean, how do you make the differentiation no, of I, ones that shouldn't be where they are versus ones that still have a lot of room to run? Well, I, I think you can buy some. And the ones that you can buy have been ones that have changed their business model a little bit, that have responded to it, that are seeing increased interest in what they do and what they bring to the market versus before. So to me, that includes some of the technology names. To me, that includes if you take a, um, 
you know, a sales force. They're looking at Slack, as we may talk about. Yeah, but that's uh, not an epicenter that stock. Them. I mean, come uh, on, that's not a reopened stock. Honey, so let's talk about Honeywell. <laughs> let's talk about Honeywell, a stock that, that I recently bought. And let's, you know, Honeywell is, uh, look, they're doing more and more both on the ESG side. They're doing more on the automation side. So they're positioning themselves better for the work from home, the stay at home, the work anywhere type environment. Um, the autos, you're going to see less people taking mass transportation. So you can still buy those. So yeah, there's some you can buy. Can you still buy Zoom here? Zoom is staying with us forever, but is the valuation staying with us forever? I don't think so. I think most so, of their inroads have already been made. Joe Terranova, you know, maybe the so-called reopen or epicenter stocks are getting harder to find, ones that are okay to buy after the kind of gains that I laid out for you. However, leave it to Tom Lee, our buddy Tom Lee, to find more because he's added now 14 names to his quote-unquote epicenter trifecta list. They include a number of energy stocks, discretionary names, Hasbro, Polaris, Financials, MGIC, Industries, J.B. Hunt, Energy, uh, HP, Helmerich and Payne, a natural, uh, National Oil Well, Schlumberger, EOG, which you know, Pioneer, uh, Holly Frontier, Marathon Petroleum, Phillips 66, Sunoco Products, Vornado out of real estate. Um, you know, so I don't know. Maybe he's searching far, far and long to find new names. Do these make sense to you? Tom's done an excellent job in identifying the stocks that are highly levered to uh, the announcement of a vaccine and the expectation for a quick reopening. There's two names that stand out here for me. Uh, number one would be J.B. Hunt. That is a name that you're purchasing, not just specifically on reopening, but also the quality of its balance sheet. Uh, Vornado, that is directly related to a reopening here in New York City. They have a lot of real estate assets that are tethered to uh, New York City. So I think what Tom is doing is answering your question, Scott. I think you're trying to identify what's the difference between an epicenter reopening stock and then a stock that really is a falling knife that seems to be rallying here in the last five to ten days. And let me just give you a quick illustration on that. If I go back from when the Pfizer vaccine was announced on Monday the 9th, the S&P is up about 3.5%. If I look at the top performing 100 stocks in the S&P 500 since that moment, do you know, Scott, only five of those stocks are actually higher year to date? So that tells you what we've kind of transitioned towards here. This is really about the falling knives beginning to participate in addition to a lot of the epicenter stocks that had already been participating. And Tom's done a great job identifying those already. Yeah. John Ajarian, um, what do you make of these additions? Are, are we trying too hard to find other reopen or epicenter stocks that are worthy of, of buying right now? Um, it, it is getting harder, and uh, I think to everybody's point, um, when you have some of these stocks, even the, the Vegas stocks, Scott, and we all know how those have been impacted, you know, whether it's Vegas Sands, whether it's um, Wynn, whether it's MGM, whether it's Caesars, a lot of them have come back to within, let's say, 75 or 80 percent of where they were prior, and yet the business is nowhere near that level, uh, to Steve's point. 
So one of them that I talked about yesterday for unusual, Sabre, is less than half of where it was back in uh, January, February time frame before we really got this hammering. So I think that is what you're looking for. You're looking for stocks, Scott, that are somewhere, you know, in that 50 percent or less even, if you can find them, uh, range of their uh, January and February numbers, not necessarily chasing the ones that are already up there 75 or 80 percent of it. Yes, there is still alpha in some of those uh, names, but I think there's far more in a stock like Sabre that, you know, we all know if you're booking hotels and airfares and moving on to things like that, if people are starting to get rolling again in that space, mm -hmm. these guys are right at the epicenter of that, to borrow from Tom Lee. So that's what I'm looking for, Scott. Those are the ones that I'm still adding to. The others are the ones that I'm lightening up on. Am I exiting completely? No. But am I lightening up or selling at the money against it? Yes. Yeah, you're still going to have this debate, and it's not going, it's not going to go anywhere. And it's going to continue into next year over growth versus value, what is deemed to be cheap, still cheap, or a willingness to continue to pay up for growth. As you, you, know, you look at the stocks that have had great runs, that leads me to the Salesforce and Slack news that the Wall Street Journal uh, has broken. Steve Weiss mentioned Salesforce uh, in talks and has been in talks, apparently, to buy Slack. I want to welcome in Josh Brown, who's called in on the phone. He used to own Slack, if you recall, uh, so I wanted his take on this from somebody who knows that company better than most. Josh, thanks for calling in. Yeah, so, Scott, this was the deal that I always thought made the most sense and that, that I thought would, would someday happen. And we don't know if it'll definitely happen, but this is such a no-brainer. It's such a home run for Salesforce. It's a great exit for Slack shareholders, assuming no activist comes along and tries to stop this. And for users... It's going to be incredible because I'm a huge Salesforce customer. Salesforce has a service called Chatter built into it, and my employees sometimes use it but prefer Slack. I can see Salesforce removing Chatter, having Slack be that in-house employee dialogue engine, and then employees could assign each other Salesforce tasks directly in Slack. It would just be a phenomenal combination. And the other thing I would tell you about this, this pits Salesforce versus Microsoft. This is going to be absolutely epic because Microsoft got up to 75 million Teams users. Slack is at 12 million users, which is impressive. They were at 6 million when Microsoft invented Teams, but they're so far behind that I almost feel like they need to do this deal. And then Salesforce on day one, once this closes, could zoom that number up. Salesforce has 150,000 paying customer companies. About 83% of the Fortune 500 companies use Salesforce. Those are all potential Slack users, and I think it could happen really quickly. So I, I think this is great for everyone involved. So a couple of questions off that. If, if you, know, you were optimistic about Slack for so long when, when you owned it, why did you ever get out of it? I just felt that the pressure being put on the company, and Stuart Butterfield has been quoted as saying Microsoft's focus on killing Slack or, or is unhealthily focused on killing Slack. There were just so many easier trades to make. So I, I bought Slack the day it IPO'd for the first time. I had added to it. I added to it in April when markets were, were crushed. 
And I got out at about 29 on August 24th. I just had to look back. So um, I probably left some money on the table, but there were just too many other trades that, that I felt were easier. <laughs> yeah, the, the other um, interesting point, I think, is it speaks to the overall conversation, Josh, that we're having and we have every day about the willingness to pay up for growth. Not only as we're now learning from investors themselves, but from companies that want to do deals with these companies that no one had heard of a year ago. Now you're willing to pay up if you're a sales force for the kind of growth that mm -hmm. a Slack would deliver for you that would enable you to better compete with Microsoft in certain areas. Now, Salesforce is up 56% year to date. Our Dom Chu points out on Twitter, um, that's a lot of capital to work with if you're Salesforce, even if you're expected to pay up and the journal talks no price. We don't know what kind of premium we're talking about, but Slack has been no slouch when it comes to its own stock gain. So those are all sort of things to consider in the context of this potential deal. Yeah, so, so here's what's important. It's like a chicken and egg thing. People say, oh, Facebook stole Instagram. They got it for a billion dollars. Instagram would never exactly. have grown to the size that it did had they not um, been bought by Facebook. And Facebook mapped its entire social graph over to Instagram and tens of millions of new users within the first few months started using the app. So if Salesforce takes Slack, they can use Slack as almost like a freemium way for people to start slowly coming into the Salesforce ecosystem who could then be upsold that enterprise software. So Slack has more potential as being part of Salesforce than it does on a standalone basis because of the might that Salesforce has um, and its inroads into the Fortune 500. So that's, that's really what the potential here, and look, it's transformative for Salesforce, I think. It'll be the biggest acquisition they've ever done, enterprise value right now, if assuming this is the premium already, you're talking like 20, 21 billion. The, the only other deal they've done that's even close is Tableau. And Tableau was, was probably transformative. So um, I want to see this happen. I think Benioff is the guy that could really boot, you know, build, uh, build Slack. So if you're a Salesforce shareholder, I think that that's how you win. Yeah. Um, that's exactly why I wanted you to call in. I so much appreciate your insight. Thank you, Josh. Uh, we'll see you later on Closing Bell. Happy Thanksgiving. Love you guys. Yep, you as well. Have a good Thanksgiving. We'll, uh, you can catch Josh again later on Closing Bell. Appreciate his insight there. Uh, John Najarian, get the first crack here after speaking with Josh. Uh, and you can take it from any number of angles. I don't think you own Slack, but everybody owns Microsoft. So you can address it from that angle if you'd like. Yeah, well, uh, number one, Scott, uh, there was huge buying on Slack calls today. Um, just ahead of this announcement. So somebody's going to take a hard look at that. And just as we were coming on air, the volume in the calls was up over 67,000 to 14,000 puts. That's way above normal. And now it's right now at 119,000 calls. So it's almost doubled while we've been on air the number of volume traded in the calls, upside calls of Slack, Scott. I got to believe this deal, if a deal indeed does happen, and it certainly seems like it, Happens north of 40, probably 41, 42. The June high was right around 40. And even though we've gone nearly parabolic here, Scott, breaking to $38 or thereabouts just moments ago, I think it goes north of 40 on a deal. That doesn't mean we go there today. Uh, to your point about Microsoft, this is still the killer. Um, Microsoft embeds this with 
everything that's part of that ecosystem, Scott, which means you subscribe to Microsoft 360, you're getting all of the goods uh, with that, and then they just keep making things like Teams better. Google has Meet against Zoom, both of those guys going after Zoom, and now you've got Microsoft obviously with a real focus on uh, Slack, mm -hmm. and you don't think that focus gets even more so if this goes over to CRM, Salesforce. I think Benioff's got a real, I mean, I'm not saying there's only going to be one. That's sure. not the issue, Scott. This isn't Highlander. But I do think that you're going to see Microsoft really go after uh, CRM in a big way here. All right. So, Carrie, another Microsoft holder. Your thoughts? Well, we own a lot of CRM, more CRM than Microsoft. And I think this is a great deal for them if it happens. Remember that in the middle of August, uh, CRM was $60 billion lower in market value than it is now. So this deal can cost them $20, $25 billion. It's not going to touch the gain that we've had in appreciation on the Salesforce stock itself. And remember that during all of COVID, what you've had is an acceleration of adoption of various CRM systems across the world as people have been able to integrate their entire enterprise that's been remote in a way that it would have taken years for that to happen for Salesforce. So I think this is a perfect time to do it. And I think they would welcome the competition from Microsoft. Uh, I, I love Microsoft, but a huge fan of Salesforce. Yeah. I'd also uh, like to iterate what, what you said about um, the growth side of things. It just shows that where there is growth in sales and earnings, it's worth something, and it's, you have to pay attention to that relative to the valuation that we've now given to you know, some of these reopened plays, the value side, the cyclical side. They do not have that type of upside. Um, and, and just if you could put that chart up, there's a little table that, um, that Finn made for me today. It just compares them. It shows, and CRM is a pretty expensive stock, but still, the growth potential in deals like this is much more than what you're going to get out of the reopening trade. And some of those stocks, as you said, are getting pretty expensive and trade pretty close, very close to where uh, some of the big growth companies are trading right now. Well, Weiss, you've got to pay up if you want some of the action, though, right? I mean, that's, that's what we've learned, um, if, if nothing else, through, throughout the pandemic. Yeah, and it, it's, you're paying up for quality. And I don't want to pay up. Look, here's how I look at it. You've got to be, you're either a stock investor or you're a fundamental investor. If you're a stock investor, and when I'm investing in Honeywell, I think it's a little elevated in, you know, elevated in valuation, it's because I think it'll go higher. As a fundamental investor and a stock investor, I'm getting that in some of my other names. And those are my long-term plays. So that's whether it's Qualcomm or whether it's Jumia, which is also a stock and a fundamental play. Uh, that's where I get that. So... You have to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. In terms of Salesforce, if they're using stock for this acquisition, then they should go do it. The stock's gotten not cheap. It's expensive. I think it'll continue to be expensive because it always has been. But you should use it as a currency. It's a phenomenal currency to use. But I don't mind paying up, taking a long-term view, a year, two years, three years, five years for a core position. Uh, if I think it's going to eventually exceed what I paid for it. But, I mean, I'm looking at some of the moves that, that you're making, and, it, you know, it, it strikes me that you're trimming from areas that have had big growth, particularly in the last few months, you know, Apple, Apple notwithstanding. It, that's had 
great growth all year long. You've trimmed Apple, you've trimmed Qualcomm, you trimmed Corvo. So does that tell me right. that you're rethinking the the runway that's ahead or at least the, the power play in these stocks moving forward that maybe they take a little bit of a breather or a backseat to where we started the show with these reopen and cyclical and economic comeback stocks? No. And um, the, the majority of my answer is no, and I'll tell you why. I've been looking at trimming those names because they perform so well. Uh, Skyworks I trimmed earlier. They're still all core positions, putting Apple aside, which is, is a core position. They just got way too big. And once the momentum, once the stock traders, those momentum traders stepped aside, it means that they would come back to earth. So it'll come back to normal portfolio positions. So I see better opportunities to generate alpha in some other areas. So, so the point of it is, is that I wouldn't say I was loose with my risk management. I was on top of it all the time. But all of those positions were way, way too big. So I'm just cutting them back. So it's portfolio management. Uh, and that had been my intent. We saw Jimmy say, look, I'll own Roku until it stops going up. Uh, and he got rid of it all. That was a complete trading position. These are fundamental. And I owned an oversized core position until they stopped going up. And so I think they'll reassert. I don't think it'll keep going down. And those are 10-year plays yeah. for sure. Well, Roku, at hasn't, least. Roku hasn't stopped going up. That's the only problem. <laughs> That's up 87% I didn't say Jimmy was months. right. I'm yeah. just saying. I, I mean, say if you want to right, use that's something I'll never say. But if you want, if you yeah. want to use that as an example, there obviously are examples <laughs> where you think that something has stopped going up, or the momentum has seemingly stopped, but this market can make you pay uh, in other ways with these kind of names that continue to go up. Joe, I, I want to come to you, and before I take a break, to go over some of your moves. You sold Abbott Labs. Sure. You sold Extra Space, which is EXR. For those playing wherever you're playing today, um, EXR and Texas Capital, uh, TCBI. I think that's an energy was an energy related play through a through a financial stock. But you tell you tell me. Yes, sir. So I sold those three names, and those are basically three names that have benefited significantly uh, on the announcements of a vaccine. Um, I'm, I'm pairing back, obviously, uh, selling out of those, raising some cash. And instead of holding what would be that kind of uh, melting ice cream cone of cash, I'm reinvesting that money uh, into the strategy that's represented in my index, uh, which the has Joe, the, uh, the ETF Joe T. Joe T tracking. The uh, Joe T ETF tracking. And so viewers can always assume I'm going to put uh, money that I, if I can't find an individual equity name, I'm not going to put the money in cash. I'm going to put it into the strategy. But just real quick, if I could, Scott, real quick on this CRM. There's a trade here, and I believe the trade, consistent with what Carrie is saying, is to buy CRM. You're talking about the reopening and looking forward to 2021. Don't you think CapEx is going to, in 2021, on the reopening, accelerate? Don't you think IT spending is going to accelerate? Mm -hmm. Salesforce reports earnings, I believe, next Tuesday. I think it's uh, December 1st that they're going to report. This company is a buy. They've done a phenomenal job integrating Tableau in the past. If this is going to be an acquisition that they're going to be successful on, it's signaling to you IT spending is coming back on the reopening. Salesforce is repositioning for it. It's a name I would consider buying, and I probably would sell Adobe to raise the funds to do it. Mm, interesting. 
Okay, uh, let's do this. Carrie, I want, I want to take a break, and then I'm going to come to you about your move, which, I, which is interesting, too. But let me get a commercial break in. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Carrie about the move she's made. We'll also talk a downgrade for an auto stock that's run up 30% in three months. We'll debate that next in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The half is back after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. We're back. 30,000, no more, at least for a day. We'll see what happens. Sue Herrera has the headlines for us. Hi, Sue. I do indeed, Scott. Thanks so much. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. New York State reporting another big increase in COVID-19 infections with more than 6,000 confirmed cases in just the last 24 hours. That is the most for that state in a single day since April. In Southern California, fire watches will go into effect on Thanksgiving due to concerns about heavy winds. Southern California Edison says it is considering shutting off electricity to 76,000 customers to avoid starting wildfires like those we saw earlier this year. In Pennsylvania, a state court has ordered state officials not to take any further steps following the certification of the state's presidential election results. NBC News says the lawsuit is unlikely to succeed in reversing Biden's win. A court hearing is scheduled for Friday. And one of the greatest soccer players ever has died. Diego Maradona led Argentina to the World Cup title in 1986 with one of the best goals ever, as well as the controversial Hand of God goal. Diego Maradona was 60 years old. You are up to date, Scott. That's the news update. I'll send it back to you. Oh, I appreciate that, Sue. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. See you on the other side of the holiday. Sue Herrera. All right, Carrie, Fordiv and Vontier. You bought more of both? Yeah, so we've been adding to those two names for the past few months. Uh, we, we bought a core position in Fordiv. Vontier was a spinoff. Then we decided to add to Vontier. They're both industrials. They both were spun out of Danaher, which is a healthcare slash industrial instrumentation company. These were two divisions. They both are reasonable PE, particularly Vontier, which is in the energy business to the extent that they do the measurements and they do a lot of the kind of fine-tuned testing at filling stations and other types of gas and fuel related mobility centers. So we thought they were both uh, reasonably Attractive stocks, um, very attractive in terms of industrials, which we think is a reopening play, and we relied on industrials. They have a runway of, I'd say, GDP growth going forward. If we have the vaccine and more reopening, driving, of course, has been picking up for months, and we don't see that that's going to slow down uh, over the next year. And Fortive does an increased number of instrumentation panel measurement systems for, um, you know, highly tuned and specific 
uh, types of capital equipment companies. And on their own, we think they're better than within Danaher. And we think they're both a very, very attractive rate here. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go through some of the calls of the day, if we could, gang. First up, Weiss, you, Ford, downgraded to equal weight Morgan Stanley. They say their uh, electric vehicle strategy is not clear. The target remains nine bucks. You own shares of letter F. I do, and it's it's been a great run. But let me ask you this: When they do reveal their electric ask. strategy, what's the stock going to do? Why are you asking the me? The stock's going to go up. Why don't you call? You want to call? <laughs> you want to call Morgan Stanley? <laughs> well, I, I want to see. I want you to see what it feels like to sit on this side can, of the desk. Can any, so look. Can anybody <laughs> get Weiss in touch they, with Morgan Stanley about their EV strategy? <laughs> James Gorman no, sometimes not, watches this show. By the way. You heard this, Mr. Gorman, uh, I'm, I'm from Steve Weiss. You can address it directly to him. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll tweet out my phone number. Look, yeah. I'm staying with Ford. These <laughs> stocks trade in unison. There's very little divergence. Why? Because there just aren't that many U.S.-based auto, co- auto companies to buy. Ford does have an EV strategy. When it becomes clear, the stock will take another step up. But I did buy GM. Uh, followed my good friend Jim Labenthal into it. Uh, I wish he had mentioned it sooner. Uh, so I could have gotten in sooner. But Ford will keep going up because it's a cheap stock. It's very cheap. So I'm sticking with it. Yeah, don't mock Farmer Jim. If without Farmer Jim, you wouldn't have gotten into General Motors. The price target, by the way, goes to 53 um, at the aforementioned Morgan Stanley, the, the firm that, that's done that. Tell me about that. Jim's had a great call on this, and, and I do wish I listened to him sooner and got on board, board sooner. Um, so you look, can stop I, right I just there. want more exposure. You, you can in stop the group. right there. We're going to hold this tape forever, <laughs> right? Compliments from you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, few and far between. We got to hold this re-racket every time <laughs> we need them. one. <laughs> I throw them around like like manhole covers. Yeah. I, I'll give you another one. Uh, Doc looks very good playing King Lear there in his uh, in his throne room. But <laughs> GM will keep going higher. Yeah. You know, there's just a scarcity value. So I think the stocks look well. That's okay. why I'm staying with them. That's why I bought GM one more. Okay. Fisker, uh, John Ajarian, initiated buy at City. Price target, 26 bucks. You own Fisker calls. You own Neo calls. You own Tesla calls. You own Lee calls. You previously owned Nikola calls. And you're probably uh, happiest that previously was in that, that read in terms of in terms of uh, Nicola. See, this happens like, it's really incredible. It's really incredible how often, Joe, that that happens with John's mic. It's at least once per show. Fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. It? I'll just give or you a name, not. Scott. Sens- Sensata Technologies, which is uh, delivering the elect- electrical components into these uh, uh, EVs. Uh, this is a company. It's a small cap. It's seven billion. I've been in it. Unfortunately, I shook myself out of it a little bit too quickly. Fairly valued with a forward-looking PE somewhere around thirty. I think that's a nice complement to some of the EV trades that have been suggested previously. The ticker symbol on that is ST. Okay. Uh, assuming we can hear from John again, we will do his unusual activity trades next. And before we go to break. Let me show you the S&P sectors right now with the S&P giving some back today. Do we have that? There we go. Discretionary technology staples are in the green. The S&P is down nearly 10. 
The Dow is down nearly 185 after hitting 30,000 for the first time ever yesterday and closing above that level. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back. Time for unusual activity. John Nigerian is back, at least for this moment. John, what do you have? <laughs> at least for this moment. Scott, uh, we've got some real strong activity in Palantir. I talked about how the feeding frenzy was going on in work options, which are now up over 180,000 calls. But in Palantir, man, this is big buying, Scott. They're buying aggressively uh, all the way up to the May 40 calls. This is a stock that came public Basically, just about six weeks ago, Scott, at 10, and now it's already pushing into the high 20s. So I bought the January 30 calls, Scott. Like I say, they're buying all the way up to the 40s out in May. There's a feeding frenzy in Palantir. It's over 380,000 calls, double what we see in work right now. Second trade, Scott, lows. The March 170 calls, aggressively bought. This is one that you normally see a lift into March, and that is because, of course, people go in there to buy their early plantings and so forth, get a head start on springtime. I'm buying these calls, the Nov 170s, with the stock at about 153 bucks a share, Scott. Yeah, far out in March. All right, Doc, thank you for that. Speaking of Lowe's, uh, Steve Weiss, you. you sold Lowe's. Tell me why. <laughs> when, when they reported the quarter, which, by the way, I thought was a pretty good quarter, the stock sold off. And at that point, I said, look, I've been thinking of selling it anyway. I'm going to wait for it to recover to the old high and then, then look at getting out. I just decided that the stock is acting tired. And even if it recovers to the old high, I've got other places to put my capital, which I think will generate much larger returns. And I've done that. And I also think that there's been a lot of pull forward to all these companies, going back to what we discussed before, and that's not going to follow through to add infinitum. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's going to follow through over the next couple of quarters. So, so that's why I sold it. Okay. Thank you for that. Coming up, Ask Halftime is next. You can send your questions in by video. We'll play it on the air. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We have one coming up for Steve Weiss. We'll do it next.
All right, let's answer some of your questions now. As I said, a video question for Steve Weiss on Alphabet, and it comes all the way from Ireland. Hi, this is Govinda from Ireland, Dublin. I would like to ask uh, advice on Google if I should keep it, sell it, or I should add to my position. Thank you. Okay, Govinda, thank you for your question. Uh, all the way all. from Dublin. Um, Steve Weiss, Google, what to do? Do I, do I keep it? Do I sell some? What do you think? First of all, I love Dublin, city I've been to. Great, great city, great country. In terms of Google, I own it. Uh, it's right up there in one of my top positions. I'd say it's number six or seven. Uh, I think you hold it. Uh, Google was a major underperformer of, relative to the other big cap techs for a long time. Now it's really come to its own after the last quarter where they finally controlled spending. So I think the momentum continues in the stock. It's not going to be up 5 or 10% every week or every month, but it'll march steadily higher. You do have the political risk of the antitrust hearings, but that's going to take so long to wind their way through the courts. And at the end of the day, if they break up Google, this is one where the sum of the parts is worth more than the whole. So, so I continue to like it. I would hold it. I'm not adding at this level, uh, but stay there right now. Okay, Joe, for you from Yash in New Jersey, is Morgan Stanley a buy? Be careful, Joe. I mean, it, Weiss, Weiss is already on Gorman's list, so, you know, I don't know if you want to be there, too. I, I, I don't, say, hold I don't on, think, let me clear that. I, I, think think I, I think their auto no, analyst is a great analyst. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. It's too late. You already dug your hole. Joe. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm living uh, in it. Am am amongst many holes that he's already dug. Uh, Morgan Stanley, Scott, you can't say this about other <laughs> financials, can you? Traded to its highest level yesterday since 2007. So there is certainly a lot of strength, both uh, in terms of quality and momentum behind Morgan Stanley. I own the name. I'm going to stay with it on a forward-looking basis. Again, it's still cheap. The PE is 12. They just did the E-Trade acquisition. They have a lot of strength fundamentally in the business model, both on the wealth management side, M&A, investment banking. Uh, they really have recreated and positioned themselves for the future. Fantastic job. Congratulations to James Gorman and the management team there. <laughs> they really are uh, hitting it out of the park. Wow, what a suck-up. All right, Scott. Scott, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to echo everything that Joe just said. Okay, uh, John Najarian, to you from Tyler in New Jersey, Matheson. Uh, with Black Friday coming up, what is your top pick in the retail names? That's from Tyler in New Jersey, John Najarian. All right, Mr. Matheson. Um, here's my pick. Number one would be Lulu. Number two would be uh, Target stores, TGT. Um, I loved Lulu before. I love it even more now that Courtney's on their board. I know she's not setting uh, strategy there yet, Scott, but I think that uh, this is a great stock to own long term. Target, same thing. Brian Cornell, uh, he's just hitting the ball out of the park. The reoccurring revenue from their subscription model also works for them, much like it does at Costco, Walmart, and Amazon. I think these are two to own for a long time. That's, that's, that's what happens with the Nigerian brothers. You, you ask about a specific stock and Target comes up. Big, big shock. Yep, it does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wasn't even the focus of the question. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? All right, Kerry, Tony in California, your thoughts on uh, BSX, Boston Scientific, 25% peak to trough, and it hasn't kept up with the market uh, or the medical devices industry. So what do you do? 
Well, Tony, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. We've owned it all the way down. They had a recall. I think that they've taken the lumps. They should start to accelerate. They can focus on the, the present and the products that are in the market and have more people do elective surgery. Therefore, I would hold it right here. Okay. Rob, finally, Stacy in Miami wants to know about oil. What do you think about oil? I understand the temptation to uh, to get involved. It's it's the worst performing sector of the year, down mid 30s, up high 30s month to date. So I understand the desire to chase. I would say short run. I think it may continue to run as we get into year end. Could face some tax selling pressure, and then at more intermediate term, there's just too many headwinds for me to want to be involved in the energy sector. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Rob. Gold's higher today, still down 5% this month. We got the trades for you. We'll do it next. It's time for the futures outlook. Gold is higher today on pace, though, for its fourth straight monthly loss. For more, let's bring in KKM Financial's Jeff Kilberg. You are a buyer at these levels? I am. I am a buyer at these levels. I think Rob Seachin hit the nail on the head earlier, Judge. He talked about the pivot in the marketplace. It is really interesting to see how allocations from not only family offices, not only from financial advisors, but active investors, we are seeing a pivot point, and there are major shifts in these allocations, and gold is going to receive a higher allocation. So I think there's a lot of technical reasons. To your point, you did see a 5% pullback, nearly at 2000 Now here at 1800 this is where I want to be a buyer. I'm looking for a target up to 1850 being mindful, having to stop in at 1775 Judge. Therefore, I'm risking 2500 to make $5,000. All right, good stuff. Happy Thanksgiving, Jeff, to you and your family. We'll Happy see you on the other side, but okay? Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Jeff Kilberg. We got the Trader's Take. Go to CNBC the promo, cnbc.com, to read about why the bull market in gold may not be over. Goldman and City see prices soaring much higher next year. Go to cnbc.com slash pro. Final trades are next. All right, less than a minute left. Final trade. Steve Weiss, you're first. You know, Joe convinced me, and I asked myself, why don't I own Morgan Stanley? I used to own it, so I bought it during the break. That's my final trade. Love the management, and they're very well positioned. Sorry, yeah. Scott. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm eating humble pie today and yeah. uncomfortably uh, full. You're nothing if not predictable, Steve Weiss. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving to Mr. Gorman, by the way. All right, Joe, what do you got? Some well-deserved love I gave Morgan Stanley. I want to buy Salesforce, and I'm going to uh, sell Adobe to raise the funds for that trade. Okay. Carrie. I love it. Uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, B-A-H. Okay. It's a consulting firm focuses on the government. All right. Need quick names. John and then Rob. WBA. Bought it as uh, we just came back. Rob. VXF in the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thanksgiving Eve. Yeah, not anymore. That game was moved to Sunday. Sorry, pal. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. The exchange is now. Happy Thanksgiving. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information.
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.